So how are we all doing today? I feel like, and I know what Andrew Bryan was saying last week, how we, um, he was up here and when he came out to preach, like everyone just took off, well, there, was, there was less of us here anyway last week and um, everyone sort of took off out to Sunday school and creche and like, all over the place and he's just like, oh, this is the remnant, like the faithful few. <laughs> kind of what I feel like today, but it's awesome that we're here. Can't drop that bookmark. Wifey's made bookmark. So if you want to, um, just, just let's just start, um, just open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 6, because that's kind of where we're going to be. I'm going to move back a bit so I don't spit on you gabs. Um, open up to Romans chapter 6, um, and we'll sort of be mostly sitting in there, sort of mid-chapter today. So previously in our, identi- in, in our de- identity series, the tongue-tied series, uh, we've laid groundwork around who we are as created beings. Um, we've... We understand that we are all created with that image of God woven into us, that Imago Day that we heard about in our first series. Um, and we know that it all went wrong when our first parents sinned and they started questioning God and God's good truth. And because of that, what our first parents did, we've been doing that ever since. So, um, and we've been stuck under this curse, this thing called sin. So in questioning God's truth, we come up with all sorts of wrong answers about who we are and what our sexuality is and what we're meant to be and how we're meant to live. And last week, Adrian talked about that big S word. He talked about sex last week. That's maybe why there's not many of us here today. He scared them all off, Parky. Um, but, sorry, not last week. It was last session, um, two weeks ago. And he drew out the fact that we're not our own um, from that, and our sexuality is not the be-all and end-all of who we are. Um, it belongs to God because we belong to Him. And so, the passage that Adrian drew into uh, in session two was um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and the end of that passage is verse 20, and I just read that, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body, for you, for you were bought with a price, and it's that verse we're just going to use as a bit of a springboard today um, to develop a new, to, to learn from two other big S words, we're going to learn about sin and slavery. So, you were bought. You were bought. So, imagine that someone walks up to you in the street, like a reputable kind of person walks up to you in the street, not, so not some, like, not an Albanian thugster or anything like that. Nothing against Albanian people, but, you know, they just tend to be like the kidnappers and the human traffickers and whatever in movies. Um, but, it, but someone reputable, they, they walk up to you in the street and they, they tell you that you've been bought. You've been bought. How does that feel? Like what? You're thinking in your head. Excuse me. What? You know, doppel. You know, a case of mistaken identity. Like what's going on? Like who? Who bought me? And what did they pay for me? And what are they going to do with me? And you, just your mind's going out of control. And then, and then it dawns on you: Am I a slave? Am I a slave? Because that's the first bit of truth that I want I wanted to put on us all today that you're all a slave. You're all slaves right now. Wherever you're sitting, whatever you're doing, you're a slave. You're a slave of some type or another. And you, uh, a master owns you. And because a master owns you, then you've got to live your life according to what that master says of you. 
Now, that's pretty heavy, hey, because that really goes against what culture tells us and what our society says. Because our society is like, no, you're your own. You can do whatever you want to be. You, you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. I think that's even a university slogan, I think, isn't it? Be whatever you want to be. Um, go, you know, go ahead, it's your life. Increase your wealth. Blow your cash on you. Spoil yourself. Pleasure yourself. It's all about you. Okay? So I just want to stop that because it's not, that's not... That's not the real situation. A master owns you, and if a master owns you, then a master dictates how your life gets lived. And so I'm sure I'm, many of you sort of know where, where I'm going with this, like this, this idea of these two masters. There is this master that we are all born into ownership of. Our parents were born into ownership of it. This master is sin. And the only other master that we can ever have is the master of Jesus. Now, regardless of which religion you belong to, whereabouts in the world you're born, you know, whatever, these are, these are the only two options to have as master over your life. So, all clear with that? It's a binary state, it's a one or a zero, alive or dead, Jesus or sin. Now, if we are born into the, under, the, under the mastership or we're, we're born into sin, but then many of us here, most of us, would probably claim that Jesus is our master. So that means it's been some sort of like slave exchange take place. Hey, it's like we come out of the ownership of sin and we place our faith and trust in Jesus and he then becomes our master. That's just the way it works. So because of that, like this, um, this slave market thing, this, this action that's taken place in our lives where we've come away from the master of sin and Jesus is now our master, because that's happened... And if, if that has happened in your life, that is, that is awesome news. But sometimes, sometimes we, we act like confused ex-slaves of sin. And we, we, we struggle, we really struggle to adjust to life under our new master. We struggle to adjust uh, in life uh, of, of freedom under Jesus. And so this is our part three of Identity Series how do we rightly understand and consider ourselves as freed slaves from sin? Because there's probably a couple of... This, this, is, this is really a vital understanding of, of um, who we are in Christ because dealing with right thoughts around uh, what sin is and its relationship to us is crucial. And there is a spectrum of, like, if you think of Christianity, be they true Christians or not, there's a spectrum of of, um, of people's stance on this. On one extreme, you have like the wretched worm camp, okay, where people are always thinking about, they're constantly thinking of how sinful they are and how much they keep sinning and speaking of themselves in those lowly terms, but they never ever kind of get to that understanding of the glory of resurrection. Their view is constantly on, on Jesus' death and, and them living a crucified life, all right, so that they can be seen to be as far away from those people at the other end of the spectrum. And these other people at the end of the spectrum are those triumphant, resurrected life people and they're, and they're enjoying all glory and victory that, that comes with it, but they're unwilling to be united with Jesus in his death. So we understand the sort of the two spectrums here. And so these, these other guys at this end, they're all... They're, they're viewing constantly living in, in all victory, but they're, off, they're missing the point that it's through death and dying to your sin that resurrection is possible. Okay? So both of these 
Both of these camps, both of these edges of like a seesaw are half-truths at best and just lies at worst. They're just leftovers from like an old slave master. So let's try and understand this rightly. Let's dive into our passage. Let's get ready. Let's get ready to, uh, to get free. So um, this is our passage. Uh, Romans chapter 6, Paul's writing to an ethnically diverse um, bunch of Christians in Rome about their stance towards sin. So we're going to start at the end of chapter 5 from verse 19 and we'll, and we'll flow through all of 6. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with sin, we believe that we will also live with him. Sorry. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Do not make, sorry, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do, not, do you not know that if you present yourselves as, as anyone, to, sorry, to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that's a really long passage and I need a drink. So, at the end of chapter 5, let's dive in there because we started there. Paul introduces this point that as sin increased and abounded to continually, um, sorry, as sin increased in in the life of a person, grace continually abounds to cover it, all right? But he gets, this comes up with a bit of a problem though, because by introducing this, he's worried that the people might get, his hearers and readers might get this notion that they can just keep on sinning and grace will just keep covering it. They can just sin unchecked. So he confronts this way really heavily and he says, he just drops a real pizzling on these people who think it's their job to sin and it's God's job to keep forgiving. He says, by no means, no no way, no way, that's the wrong way to see this. How can you who died to sin still live in it? He says, don't you know? Don't you know? Which is just like implying that this is fundamental knowledge. Don't you know? And so here comes this first bit of truth for us as followers of Jesus who are acting like confused slaves we need to understand. All of us who have been baptised into and immersed, or just another word for being immersed into or covered over by Jesus' death, at that moment that you called out to Jesus to take over your life, you've been buried with him. That old self has been buried with him and raised from, and you've been raised from death to walk in new life with him. Now, you pretty much understand that's primary Christian belief. A lot of you would just be like, yeah, I agree with that. We can amen, like a, a simple statement like that. We, we get that. And we move on all too quickly, but let's think about it. Dead to sin. Dead to sin. Hmm. Let's just let that settle, settle in our minds for a little bit. And just preface it with, you know, that um, verse in um, Ephesians 2 where it's like, you know, once you were dead in sin and now marry it up with here, dead to sin. So imagine that. It's at the crux of this. This is saying that Christians or us as followers of Jesus, we should no longer live in sin. Sin is dead to it. Like BJ and I were, we, had, we, had, we caught up brekkie yesterday and we, we, as we were walking back uh, home, we came across a bit of a domestic happening sort of out in the street in front of us and this lady walks out and she was screaming at this dude and this dude was just like, he grabbed some clothes and his thongs and he was running to some units. It was a, it was a wild situation. We we're about to call the cops. And, um, but it was crazy. But this woman's like, oh, he bashed me. He's dead to me. And then I was thinking, yeah, like, what does it mean when someone says, you know, if I was to say, Adrian, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Don't call me ever again. You know, like, what does that mean? If you're, de- if someone, if you say someone, like something or someone is dead to you, that's pretty strong. Hey, that's like, I don't want anything ever to do with you ever again, ever again. I'm not even going, I'm never going to ring you on your birthday. 
They're off the Christmas card list, you know, like, I don't even, I'm not even going to think about you. I'm deleting you from my phone. Like, it's just, you're dead to me. There's nothing there. This is, how, this is meant to be a Christian's attitude to sin. But yet, at the, like, sometimes these old sins, these old feelings, this old self, it hangs over us. And we, we start acting like these confu- like a confused ex-slave, like we, we're still under the ownership of it, so we don't separate ourselves from it entirely. And in some of my reading about this, I came across this really awesome analogy where it, it talks about um, like in-betweener Christians or like um, confused ex-slave Christians, let's call it, where they, they're sort of living in sort of between Egypt, like you use the analogy of the Israelites, they're sort of living between Egypt and the promised land. Like they're, sa- they're saved from the slavery, but they still haven't entered like this land of promise and all that blessing that comes with it. Or the other analogy used was like they're sort of between Good Friday where they believe in the cross, they understand the cross, but they haven't quite gotten to that resurrection, that understanding of this new life that we have. This is that, like a sort of analogy where these confused ex-slave Christians are in. And I see this so much in my own life and I want to, you know, share it with you guys. So let's not stop there. Let's, let's pick up the core of our reading. We'll start in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay, so... United with him. Like what, what does united with someone mean? You know, if you're united with someone, like Camille and I are united in marriage, we share a close bond in marriage. So it's just a closely bonded, it's, it's the idea of being closely bonded with something or someone, united with them. So, notice here from this verse, we are united or we're closely bonded with Jesus in his death over sin. So, it necessarily follows because it says that the word, the word certainly is used, that we shall certainly be united with or closely bonded with Jesus in his resurrection to new life. All right? They're not separate ideas. You know how we talked about the two opposing... Whoa, tripping over here. You know how we talked about those two opposing ideas earlier? They're, they're not separate ideas. They've got to be held together, right? You, 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 we are united, we are closely bonded with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, both at the same time. The, these states are linked, right? They're not separate ideas. Now, I... I I can probably hear some of you protesting and be thinking, yeah, but isn't Jesus talking about um, like a future state when we will all be raised with glorious bodies and in heaven at this amazing time, in a time yet future? And yeah, that is the final fulfilment of this. But if you look in verse 4, like it, it, it's talking about now, that we can walk in newness of life now. And Colossians 3 backs this up. Like he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, all right? So it's, it's a now, it's, it's this life as well, and seeing our fulfilment at that resurrection time with Jesus. So let's jump into our next verse, because we'll probably sit the, spend the majority of our time trying to unpack and see what this is. 
Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Man, yeah, okay, this is the money. This is money right here. Okay, this is money verse. So what is sin in a Christian? What's, what's sin in a Christian? From that verse, according to that verse. It's nothing. It's been brought to nothing. So through the death of our old self, provided through Jesus' death, sin in us has been brought to nothing so that it has no hold over us. So let's uh, kind of think about this with an, Im- an image, all right? Um, since there's a lot of talk about you know, dead people and slavery and whatever today, let's assume oh, I brought a corpse with me to church today. Yeah, I know, gross, eh? Um, let's assume, my dear, let's ignore like, all the laws of the land that would make that really illegal and, and weird. But say I, I brought a corpse with me and I drag it in and I sit it up on the stage here. Okay? And then you look at this corpse and you go, hey, that's my old work boss. And I'm meant to be working today. But so depending on your relationship with the boss is whether you like, you know, you cheer or you cry. But you're like, oh man, I'm meant to be working today. So this is your boss, you're meant to be working, you skipped work to come to church, you know, good on you. Um, but this is your old work boss. Do what they say. Do what they say. They're your work boss, you're meant to be at work, you're meant to be doing what it says. Do what they say. I know you're looking at me weird, hey, because like, it's dead. It, it can't say anything to me to make me do stuff. And even if it did... It can't, like, manhandle me out of here, like, drag me by the ear to work or anything. It's powerless. It's brought to nothing. There is no power here. It has no, no power over you at all. Yeah, we understand that. It's deep to get. So, if you think about this, cor- this corpse, this, your old sinful self the old sinful Ben McIntyre, the old sinful Steve Ellis, the old sinful Nadine Root, the old sinful Kerry Park. Like That old person, man or woman, whatever you want, is like a corpse. It's a dead, dead slave master. It's got no power over you at all because it died. It was crucified with Jesus. It was killed. It was dragged out into the town square. It was nailed to a cross. It was killed when you accepted Jesus as your saviour into your life. And it's been dead, it's been useless, it's been powerless, it's been lying on the ground rotting ever since. So why, here we we go, why, this is what we're thinking, okay, why, why do I still want to perv on and fantasise about that hot guy at work? And why do I want to lie and cheat on my tax every year? And why do I want to uh, look at porn late at night? And why do I, uh, you know, get so angry when people call me out for my faults? And, and why do I want to spread juicy gossip that I'm not sure if it's true? Why? Why do I want to do that? 
Paul wrestles with this in like later on in chapter 7, verse, end, of verse, end of chapter 7, yeah. Go and read that through the week maybe. But the answer is our flesh. So going back to session one, remember how we were broken, our, our, our parents, our first parents, Adam and Eve, um, rebelled against God. We've inherited this broken flesh ever since. This flesh, it's not just your muscles and your bones, it's like something a whole lot deeper than that. Um, your flesh is your brokenness that wants to go its own way. That's probably a good way to understand it. Anything that, that opposes God in you and wants to seek after sinful gratification, that's your flesh. It's a hard sort of concept to try and understand. But it's anything, it's, it's like you're broken, you, you, you have this in you, but it's something that wants to go away from God's good order of things. It always wants to rebel. It's like if you've got a, it's like your steering rack if you don't have a good wheel alignment. You know, like it doesn't want to just track straight. It always wants to veer off in one direction, either onto incoming traffic and destroy itself or into off the road in a gutter, into a tree and destroy itself. Like that's yourself, that's your flesh doesn't want to stay straight in God's order, wants to be influenced into sin and rebellion away from God. So this old man, this old sinful you, this, um, this old ex-slave master, it's dead. It's dead. But your flesh, it still has desires and impulses because it is encouraged along by a few key things. And your flesh is encouraged along by that old slave master, when it was alive, when he was alive in you, the old sinful Tim Burstow, the old sinful Peter Lawrence, the old sinful Nicole Jarvis, when it was alive, with the whip cracking it over your life, okay, it was driving your flesh to do all sorts of terrible stuff. It was driving your flesh into bulk rebellion against God. And your flesh also is influenced by, like, those around you, like the culture and the society that is around you. You think of your friends that you have and your TV and movies that you watch and books that you read, music you listen to, whatever. The influence of the culture, those, the sinful people in the culture around you are influencing your flesh that way, also to rebel against God. And then you're also, your flesh is also influenced by Satan and his cohorts, tempted and influ- influenced in that way, like, here's sin, it's enjoyable, come in, you know, kind of, that's what, um, you know, Satan and his, his demons are working on you as well. So in understanding that's what our flesh is and that's our relationship with our old sinful self and society and, and the spiritual world as well, let's try and bring this pretty practical and I want to, I want to build up a picture for us to help us understand this, okay? And this picture might take a little bit of time to unfold. So imagine your flesh as a giant flywheel, all right? We all, we all good with what a flywheel is? Okay, an old mechanics in an old motor, I really thought everyone would know what a flywheel was, dang. Maybe <laughs> I have to think of another influence. But a, a flywheel is like a big, heavy wheel in machinery, okay? It takes a lot of energy to get moving really fast, but then it takes a heck of a lot of energy to slow down and stop. It's just a big source of energy. It's a big source of constant momentum. It keeps engines ticking over during like a weak cycle in their combustion and whatever. It's just a 
think, think of a big heavy wheel, lots of mass around the edge and it's spinning really fast. So this is your flesh. Think of it as this flywheel inside of you, okay, driving you. And it has, um, it's a real low frictionless setup, like you think of it, it's huge, it's big, it's heavy, it's on well-greased um, ball bearings, it's on, maybe it's sitting in a vacuum chamber, it's a real, you know, nice, Steve helped me out here being a fellow nerd, um, <laughs> real nice frictionless setup, okay? So when this thing gets going, it's really hard to stop. Now, your sinful self, your old self, when you're born, you're under the mastership of sin, there's an old sinful, you know, uh, whatever your name is, insert whatever your name is here, inside of you, and it's getting this flywheel going, okay? It starts it kicking, and then as you like and you enjoy sin in your life, the flywheel gets faster and faster, and you start reveling in it, and you start sinning more and more, the flywheel gets faster and faster, driven on by your sinful self. And then society comes along, you know, you've got some bad, you make, out, um, make some bad friends and you're down behind the, you know, they're the kind of guys that hang down the back oval behind the gardener's shed. We all know the type. We make those friends in school. And they, you know, they influence you bad and, and that flesh flywheel starts spinning faster and faster. And then Satan and, and, and his cohorts, the spiritual world, they're enjoying this, they're loving seeing you, keep sinning and they're, they're, they're giving it a flick along every now and again. So this flywheel is going faster and faster and faster. And before you long, it's really humming along and all sorts of sin and rebellion and stuff is just flowing out from your life because of how fast this flywheel is spinning. We got, got that picture? Then, then you meet Jesus. And this is, this is awesome. And by, by faith, you, like, you accept Jesus, you, you, you accept him in faith and you say, Lord, you, you, know, you, you believe that he can come in and, 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 and um, cleanse you of all your sins and the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. God seals you with his Holy Spirit and you are born again this day and this is hooray, all right? Best day ever. That day... Your old sinful self is dragged out into the square and put down. It's killed. Right? That old sinful you is no more. It's nailed to the cross with Jesus. Right? It's a corpse. It cannot touch that flywheel, your flesh flywheel, anymore. That, and, and then that new man or woman is raised to life, a new man or woman in Christ. Okay, this is where identity starts to seep in here. Yet, we look in our lives and we see this flywheel still going really, really fast. And there is so much angular momentum built up into this, this bad boy, it's really hard to stop. It's spinning like a top still. And society around us doesn't help. Like, oh yeah, you're the weird Christian now, no worries. Yeah, we'll still throw a whole lot of you know, temptation and things your way. We'll still influence, influence you for the worst. You now you're, you've risen up a few target priority list on you know, Satan's priority list. So you're copying a bit of um, you know, influencing, more influencing from him to try and make you fall, to keep this flywheel really spinning fast. And this, get, this really gets you down. Like, you know, Christians, you know. Like you, you, 
I love Jesus for all he's done for me and you know, I love him so much, but like, look at my flesh, look at my flywheel, look at what's going on. Like, I'm still seeing his pouring out of me. Like, what, what's going on? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And so and then up here comes Satan and he slithers up out of the shadows and he's in your ear like, how dare you? How dare you? you know, how, how can you call yourself a Christian? Look at all this stuff that you're doing. Oh, you're no good. And then he, he brings up that, those memories of your old sinful self. You know that corpse, that old you, that's now, that, the old sinful you that's now dead? He brings back memories into your mind of what that person did. It's like kind of, uh, I'm going to liken it to like Facebook memories. Not like Facebook's the devil, but almost. But, you know, um, like I've just come up with my 10 years reunion with Facebook. Yay, hooray. Um, but, you know, every, every day it sort of brings up, oh, this is what you're doing two years ago. This is what you're doing six years ago. This is what you're doing 10 years ago, you know, whatever. And I look at some of that and I'm just like, oh, man, why did I post that? Like, I'm such a fool. Like, I was such a moron back then. This is kind of what Satan's doing in your life by saying, ha, huh, look at that old person. Ha, huh, look, you know, this is what you are. No, it's what I was. Like, he's a liar. He's telling you that this is what you are. He's applying that old dead person to what you are now. That's what I was. Let's put it, put it down. So this is what Satan's doing, okay? And so our, our fleshy flywheel is just spinning nuts out of control still, okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm not doing any good in this. You're still beaten down. I'm, I'm not doing any good in this. And this is where, like, enter... Like the shame cycle. You know what a shame cycle is? Anybody know? Psychologists? <laughs> shame cycle. It's, it's, a, it's a psychological condition where doing something bad, where being shameful about doing something bad, reinforces the need to do that bad thing again, hence bringing more shame. So then you have this shameful feeling and you need comfort. So then you do this bad thing again. It brings comfort and therefore it brings more shame and it keeps you in this cycle of shame. So, and down and down and down you can go into like this court in this vortex getting pulled down in this shame cycle. And Satan loves this shame cycle because it keep, if by keeping people down, keeping people ashamed of what they are, makes them keep doing those terrible sins. And some of his best work is done by keeping people there and um, keeping Christians there as well. But this shame cycle, it can be broken by understanding how this, this flesh flywheel works. So we, we know at this point in time, it's just spinning crazy. We've accepted Jesus into our life. Well, we still look at ourselves and we are convicted about how terribly sinful we still are. But we look at this, this flesh flywheel but understand how this flesh flywheel works. That main source of energy that was going into the flywheel to keep it spinning so fast, it's been turned off. It's been the motor that was just driving it constantly has been flicked off. That was your old sinful slave master self. It's killed. It's dead. It has no control. It cannot affect that flywheel anymore. So there's no more power going to this flywheel. So that's awesome news, hey. That's really awesome news. 
So now we can look at this flywheel and we, because God has called us to, in participation with Him, slow it down. So how do we go about this? How do we go about slowing this flywheel down? Uh-huh. Every day, every day we need to be actively putting the brakes on this flywheel, okay? This is what crucifying the flesh is every day, all right? Every day we've got to be doing what doing to the flesh, flywheel, whatever Christ has already done to our old ex-slave master. It's, it's killed. We need to be killing this, slowing it down as well. So we do that by, um, you know, daily getting stuck into God's Word and letting it affect and change you, um, asking Him to help you crucify this flesh, slow this flywheel down every day. And slowly through the help of God's Holy Spirit living in you, the flywheel will slow down. It will slow down. So this is where um, the understanding of identity is important because if we take our eyes off Christ and we stop listening to His Word and we stop talking to Him and communicating with Him and understanding who He says we are, we will start to um, hear that, that ghostly voice from the old slave master that's dead, but we'll still hear the old voice, the old accusing voice coming from there. We'll start listening to what the society, the sinful society around us tells us who we are. And we'll start understanding what Satan says we are, who is, he's going to try and tell you that you're still that old sinful person. This is why we need to keep our eyes and understanding of what, Christ says we are. So if we, and then if we revel in, you know, who this new person is, the new raised to, to life, the new person in Christ, if we let that, um, that person influence our mind and our emotions and our will, then and we strive after, we seek after Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we believe in who God says we are, then this flesh flywheel will slow down. And shame cycles will be broken and the battle over sin will be a whole lot less fierce. So let's just grab some real quick practical stuff here um, and, and drop into verse 11 on how this sort of plays out. How can we do this? So verse 11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So here's Paul's practical example for living this out, daily killing off your flesh. First, we, what do we need to do? First, first up there, it says, you must Consider yourselves. Consider yourselves. So get this into your mind. Get this into your mind of who you are. That one, you're dead in sin. And two, you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. So repeat this to yourself daily. Put it on as, a, as, a, as a, the background on your phone or on your steering wheel or on the mirror when you wake up in the morning, whatever. Get this into your mind. Whatever you, do, whatever you need to do to truly believe this, do it. And so you, if you're all the victorious or power in this life, people, just 
die to your sins, okay? Like new life comes through dying daily. And if you're one of the the woeful, groveling worm camp, then you are dead to your sins. Lift your eyes and understand who you are and charge on into new life. So you are dead to sin and you're alive to God. The second point to pull out of this, this little bit that Paul's got here is do not let sin reign. Don't let sin reign. The old slave master is dead, okay? It's, it's a corpse. It's got no power over you. Don't get your shovel out and start, you know, digging it out of its grave, right? Don't. Don't become the grave digger. That's disgusting. It's filthy. Don't go back to your old self. Don't, don't give it power. Don't let it reign. We need to embrace the freedom that's given to us as ex-slaves. So you're free from sin. Don't let it reign. And finally, this is probably the most practical, don't present your members to sin, but present them to God. So what is our, what is our members? What's our members like when it says members? Well, those of us, like it's those parts of our body that we've got freedom to do stuff with. All right? They can be your, you know, your mind, your, your hands, your feet, you know, your tongue, your mouth, whatever, even your genitals. Like it's whatever you have freedom to do stuff with, parts of your body, Okay? Don't use them as instruments or tools to sin. Don't. We must stay vigilant over what our mind is thinking, what our hands are doing, where our feet are going. Stay vigilant over that. And then notice the second part of Paul's instruction here is we need to go further. It's not just enough to stop using them for sin, but we are to then continue on and present them to God to be used for his good work. All right, so this is flushed up with Paul's idea of later on in Romans, like present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Remember that? So this is what this is all about. Our bodies are bought by our new master. It was so good yesterday, you know, dropping, I was on the way to kindy orientation, not for, um, yeah, not for myself, but for Torin. Um, we, were, we were going to kindy and we just dropped some muffins off. And it was so great to see people using their members to, you know, to, to further God's kingdom, for, for righteousness, for good things. People using their mind and their hands and feet and you know, their muscles and just being good stewards of what we have. So let's be always vigilant over what we are doing with our members. So remove your body from, from sin's service and present it to God for his service. So yeah, we as ex-slaves, we, we, we do carry a whole lot of baggage that we don't need to. Um, like, we know our old slave master is dead, yet, and, but these old habits, man, they do die hard unless we are working on them daily to be getting rid of. And what we do, though, we, we replay all that, uh, these accusing, the shaming, the, the, um, the criticizing thoughts that, that, from the enemy that keep us cowered down and bashed into a corner. We replay them so much more over the loving words of our Savior, Jesus, who died for us. Like... What, like where, like whose words do we put most emphasis on? Like, like how much do we even spend time, you know, understanding God's word, his promises to us? And like we're going to see soon in like our second video, these, just some of the things that he says we are. How much time do we spend actually letting that, you know, seep into our mind as opposed to just that criticizing and the, the bringing up the trash and the old dead bodies that, you know, get bored our way? So we, 
Yeah. See, Jesus died. Jesus died for us to bring us out of that. Jesus, Jesus gave his life to buy us back out of that, that sinful slave market. And that's the price that we're bought with. Like, you know, we, we're bought. Yeah, okay, we're bought, so what? But what was the price that we were bought with? What was the price? Like, the price is God's sinless son. Like, the price, the price that you were bought with is, is Jesus on the cross He's nailed up there. He's a bloody beaten mess. Right? He's got his back turned on him by everybody. He's rejected by everybody. He's ignored by everybody. And he's, he's deserted. He's just hanging on the cross. He's deserted even by God, his own father. And he turns his back on like a heaving, agonized, you know, suffocating son. That's the price that you've been bought with. And you, you think you hear, you, you just in your mind's eye, we read the account and think about it. You hear Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you can just imagine Jesus like through blood pouring into his eyes from the crown of thorns and struggling to lift his head, like searching the sky, like where is he? He was abandoned and deserted to buy you out of your slave pit. There's no higher price to be bought with. Okay, All the riches in the universe, they don't equate to the, the price of sinless, spotless, God's darling son. They don't equate. You've been bought with a price and you've been forgiven of your sins, your past sins, your current sins, your future sins, it's all dead. You've been paid for. You've been reconciled. You've been brought back. You've been brought back to where you're meant to be. And then you go on. You've been sanctified and glorified and adopted back into God's family, God as his children. Think about this, Willowburn. Like, think about it. And so think of where you are and as a confused ex-slave, like, Bound up and confused and flirting with sin is no place for a person who has been bought by the blood of Jesus. And bound up and confused under the old ghostly accusing words from an old dead in the ground slave master is no place to be for a child of God. It's no place to be. You are free. Lift your eyes. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 